I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are on the 10th lesson of this fourth quarter about education. And this week's lesson is education in arts and sciences. Uh, Pastor Howard, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot to cover in this yes, particular week's lesson. So uh, I am personally kind of tickled about this one. I, I love the discussion we're going to dive <laughs> into here. I'm looking forward to it. And I think that every Sabbath school class is going to be fantastic this week. I'm already confident of it. So, <laughs> there it is. There it is. Uh, but why don't we talk about uh, the overarching view? What are we looking at this week? Well, the lesson really is going to consider the arts and sciences from the Christian perspective and worldview. Uh, you know, when you talk about education, mm -hmm. education, especially in the sciences, not necessarily arts, higher education, what have you, but the sciences, that is the core of education, yeah. you know, in, in the minds of many. And <clears throat> science is often viewed as contrary to a biblical mm -hmm. faith. Mm -hmm which I think is part of the reason this excites you. Is it does. You know that this is, that's far from the case. So education in arts and sciences almost sounds contrary to a Christian worldview. So that's what we're looking at is arts and sciences from that Christian perspective and worldview. Yeah. And so we have three talking points we've drawn out uh, this week. The first talking point is this. The arts and sciences are pulpits for worldviews. Mm -hmm. And we'll explain what that means in just a moment. Okay. The arts and sciences are pulpits for worldviews. And that's drawn primarily from just the intro and Sabbath, uh, okay. Sabbath afternoon. Point number two, God is the author of art and science. Yes. And uh, <laughs> actually, I've drawn that from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. <laughs> I like that. There's one point from Sabbath and then Sabbath, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's just, yeah. and you'll see why as we go through this. And then the final talking point, number three, is the Bible must be allowed to educate our love for art yes. and our confidence in science. So those are our talking points this week. Okay. Well, like I said, this is going to be an exciting study. Uh, I'm particularly looking forward to this one uh, because sometimes I believe that people look at, well, you had to study science, like there's a separate science curriculum, and then there's all the Bible stuff, you know. As yes. though there's, but the, this lesson does an excellent job of bringing in the not just overlap, but the uh, intrinsically tied together nature of art and science and the scripture. It's a beautiful thing. But before we study anything from God's word, mm -hmm. we need to begin with a word of prayer. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this particular topic. Thank you for being the author of all things uh, in your created world, whether they're science or art or scripture itself and the great plan of redemption. Help us now to see how these things are so closely intertwined and help us to uh, not only appreciate art and science uh, in an objective sense, uh, but Lord, to particularly see it from your perspective. Help us to be taught of you, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, number one, the, the arts and science are pulpits for worldviews. What does yes. it mean that art and science are pulpits? Well, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've, I've did a little research into this. We've heard the expressions, probably both expressions, art imitates life and life imitates art, like mm -hmm, the chicken mm -hmm. and the egg thing. And I was yeah. like, which one? What? So apparently art imitates life is a distillation of a Greek philosophical concept that was uh, furthered by uh, both Plato and by um, Aristotle, drawn from the Greek word mimesis, and that is in essence, art imitates life. But it was Oscar Wilde, probably among others, poet and playwright Oscar Wilde, countered that life imitates art far more than art imitates life. And his point was that artists 
use art to express their worldview. Right. So it's not just and, life in general, but their specific right. view of the life. Right. And that then in turn affects those who partake of it. An example that was given in a Wikipedia article called Life Imitating Art is uh, it says, what is found in life and nature is not what is really there, but is that which artists have taught people to find there through art. Mm. As in an example posted or posited by Wilde, Although there has been fog in London for centuries, one notices the beauty and wonder of the fog because poets and painters have taught the loveliness of such effects. They did not exist till art had invented them. Now, obviously, fog existed, sunsets <laughs> right. existed, but, but if you've ever the appreciation seen, of it, right. well, if you've ever seen a beautiful, a good photograph, it's like you, if you've ever tried to take a photograph of a sunset, and just they don't often come out no. well. A yeah. photographer, a good photographer, can make it come out. In some ways, and don't misunderstand me here, but in some ways better than the sunset itself because mm -hmm. it's he he uses lighting to his advantage or right. makes the rain look like you don't want to be caught in the rain, but a picture of it can be awesome. It looks like so inviting. Or I want to go in that. The rain. picture yeah. of London in the fog, the fog in London. Oh, I don't want to drive in it, but to see a picture. So, just that's just one example of how art can almost paint a, a romantic view of some kind of thing, and then it instills that in your mind. And uh, in the same way, there are, there are expressions, there are, uh, we talked about a little bit, and I don't know if this ties to art, media of some sort, or something else, but why does the man get down on one knee to propose to a woman? Um, now, I don't know where the its origins are, but, but as a young man, I saw it in movies and TV, yeah, and I yeah, thought, that's what you that's do. That's what you do, yeah. So, again, the idea of, of art imitating life, and science can work in much the same way, don't think that an artist doesn't have an objective to teach. Mm. And, and don't think that scientists don't sometimes have that same object, objective mm. that also can ruin their objectivity. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about that as we go. But the idea that arts and sciences act as a pulpit, and it may not be like, oh, all artists are sitting there thinking like, oh, I'm going to instill this. and that. They may not be consciously thinking, but how they express themselves is an exp is a manifestation of their perspective on a culture or society or life or or nature or whatever, and the same is true in science. Why it right. seems like well, it's so stripped of any kind of foreign influence. It's got to be just objective reality. When the truth of the matter is, we're all looking at something and saying something about That's it, right. and it expresses a worldview in so doing. That's right. So our point there in, in with key point number one, talking point number one is. The point is that people use arts and sciences as avenues to promote the worldview they've adopted. Yes. Okay? And that needs to be understood because if you understand that, then, then as a Christian, we want to make sure that whatever we're incorporating mm -hmm. or imbibing in arts and sciences is in line with the Christian worldview right. and not another Because the Lord has a worldview and the Christian mm -hmm. should have that worldview. And as Christians, we should be responsible for magnifying that and, and seeing it as the Lord wants us to see it. That's right. Which right. leads us into talking point number two. God is the author of art and science, of all art and science. God is the author of it. Mm. Whew, that's a big statement. God is the author of all art and science. Yes. Uh, you know, let's, let's break this one. Because well, first people of all, say let's... Like, there's a lot of science out there that doesn't accord with the biblical faith. There's a lot of art that we wouldn't right. want to show our children. So how can you say that God is the... What do we mean? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say God is the author of the, some of the pictures today exactly. and what have you. So 
we'll, we'll explain as we go. Yeah. Um, first of all, let's talk about uh, science or knowledge. Right. Now, this is interesting. The, the lesson brings out on Tuesday the passage in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, where Paul warns Timothy about what is falsely called knowledge. And if you're familiar with the King James Version, you know in the King James Version it says science, falsely so-called. A lot of people don't realize that they're the same word. The word science, our word science, comes from the Latin word, sci uh, the Latin word scientia, which means knowledge. So they're the same, they're equivalent. Mm. And of course the Greek word is uh, gnosis. And those... Uh, so, so when it's talking about what is falsely called knowledge, God is saying there's a false science. Mm. Not all that claims to be science is true. And this kind of, well, we'll draw, well, let me explain a little bit. Okay. I looked up in Wikipedia under the scientific method, just so that, and we'll build on this. The scientific method, according to the Wikipedia article, The Scientific Method, is an empirical method of acquiring knowledge it involves careful observation, applying rigorous skepticism about what is observed, given that, listen, cognitive assumptions, those are things we've already thought prior to coming into the observation process, can distort how one interprets the observation. Mm -hmm. So at the core of it, it, what we need to understand is science is a knowledge that comes from observation that a finite being makes of infinite things. Right. So if what I'm studying is deeper, is broader, is more complex than me, mm -hmm. then my observations are going to be limited. And so I can call it fact because I saw it and I observed it and it's observable and it's testable, but it's still testable by me, a finite being. So right. there's limitations to that. And that's what that scientific, that, you know, that's why there's the, the uh, rigorous skepticism applied because they even acknowledge that cognitive assumptions that we have can distort how we interpret those observations. Absolutely true. And so when Timothy was talking to Paul about uh, not getting into disputes with people who have these yes. arguments in line, he's like, because you could go down those rabbit holes forever. And the problem is everybody's got these assumptions and they're going to be right. locked into their position and you're not going to gain anything by it. So don't waste your time with it. It's not, not profitable. Yeah, and, and uh, you had brought in Isaiah 55. Oh, yes. Isaiah chapter 55 brings out this uh, very helpful principle uh, where the Lord is speaking to his people. Uh, and, and it says, this is verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55, where the Lord declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I think that's a very helpful thing to keep in mind that we cannot simply assume that because I see it, now right. I grasp it. Exactly. Because what if I run into something that's bigger and I don't see the perspective that God has, which is right. not only probable, it's guaranteed to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. And it reminds me of, uh, perhaps our viewers are familiar with the parable of the uh, blind man and the elephant, mm -hmm. where... Um, if you're not familiar with it, uh, the idea is that some blind men come across an elephant and one grabs him by the tail and he's like, an elephant's like a rope. And one grabs his leg and says, no, an elephant's not like a rope, he's like a tree. And another feels the side of the elephant and he says, no, he's not like a rope or a tree, he's like a wall. And, and then mm. the, the takeaway from the parable is that they all were partially right. And it's usually applied, in fact, I've even heard it applied to religions. Yes. Christianity and Buddhism and Taoism. All has a little bit of truth. You know. All has a little bit of truth. But somebody made the observation that 
in order for anybody to know that any of those blind men were right, somebody had to know what an elephant looked like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you know he was right when he said it looked like uh, yeah. uh, a rope unless you knew an elephant had a tail, right. unless you knew an elephant had a leg, unless you knew yeah. an elephant was big. So somebody had to have the big picture. And we're talking about science. The big picture guy is God. Absolutely. God has that big picture. So man's observations are like those blind men. Right. And we make such confident assertions. Like I'm thinking about the, you know, the textbooks used to say that the smallest object in all the universe is the atom. Right. Right. Until someone it was no smashed the, the atom apart and found out that there's all kinds of a whole world of, of particles even right. smaller than that. And so you had to reframe everything. But the confidence leading up to that, we know because we've seen it. But now I stumbled into something I'd never seen and I have to change my whole paradigm. Right. So anyway. you've got the idea of science, false science. Science is a knowledge, but it comes from observation and man's observation is limited. And uh, there are also presuppositions that are made uh, that lead, you know, as, as that statement in Wikipedia said, that there, the, the rigorous skepticism was applied to what's observed because cognitive assumptions can distort how one interprets the observation. Yes. There are presuppositions that sometimes are, uh, using the theological term, eisegeted into. Yes, read <laughs> inserted into. into yeah. Read into the, you know, uh, the idea of science, what is falsely so-called science. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the lesson in thir on Thursday goes to Job 38. And Job 38 is such a great chapter Absolutely where love the it. Lord basically says, okay, Job, I've heard all of your ramblings, and now let me answer you and see if you can answer me back. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you? And what's interesting to me about the passage in light of this study is in Job 38, <laughs> verse 2, the Lord asks him, who is this who darkens counsel speaking of his own counsel, mm -hmm. God's counsel, by words without knowledge. And if you would apply it to what we've looked at already, the same thing could be said instead of knowledge, science, they're the same word. Mm -hmm. So God says to Job, who is this who darkens my counsel by words without science? In other words, Job, your scientific observations are limited. Yes. What is your observation about the foundations of the earth? What are your observations about this and that? And what are your observations about Pleiades and the yeah. Orion? So in other words, God's saying, I'm seeing things, that perspective of the elephant, that you're not seeing. Yes. And that's such a, pic a perfect picture of the limitations of humanity. Yes. And, you know, I think about, like, anytime you find, uh, you know, I'm kind of a creation buff. I enjoy those kind of things. But yeah. anytime there's a, a break in the geologic record or there's some sort of, like, um, you know, anomaly in what they would expect to find in, in anthropology or something like this, then they would automatically say, well, this has to be, and they'll just make up a thing, right? right? And so while they, on one hand, will say, we, you know, just regard, disregard out of hand all mm -hmm. supernatural, That's yet right. when there's something that comes in, they say, well, it had to be from outer space. It had to be a meteor. It That's had to right. be an alien. It had to be some sort of catastrophic other event. And my thing is, well, why couldn't it just be what the Bible says? No, 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 that's, that's not allowed. No, 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 that can't be that. And so there are these limits to our our perceptions that, that cloud our interpretations of some of the same data. Well, Thursday's lesson, the fourth paragraph, makes this point. It says, science has now constituted, argues that the very idea of a supernatural creator is unscientific, since it cannot be tested scientifically, and thus it is a notion that science cannot deal with. This presupposition is not anything that science itself teaches. In fact, science would seem to mm -hmm. teach the opposite. All the beauty and complexity of the world do indeed point to a creator. 
but it is instead, listen carefully, a philosophical position imposed upon the discipline by scientists themselves. Exactly. So this is not science. It's right. a worldview, as we said yes. in the beginning, that's being preached from scientific pulpits. Absolutely true. Absolutely. And true. as you were saying, what's interesting here is, is that they, they want to exclude God and supernatural things. But I was telling you as we rehearsed this that I had an uncle who was, you know, one of my aunt's uh, a previous husband, but he had been a professor of some kind of, some branch of the sciences in a university. And he loved science fiction. And it's interesting to me how many atheists and professors love science fiction. And some of the, some of the positions of science fiction, when they talk about the alternate timelines and universes and parallel mm -hmm. universes yeah. and, and all yeah. of these, which, <laughs> you know, we, we call it entertainment, but the reality is this is what some scientists, the reason that draws them is it's almost as if they know there's probably a level of supernatural somewhere, but they don't want to say that God <laughs> yeah. is that supernatural. So it's just some supernatural so, we haven't discovered yet, but it's got to be out there. Richard yeah. Dawkins has, has, has accepted the idea that perhaps life originated on this planet by aliens. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> seriously? That we were seated yes, here, you know, in some sort of, yeah. So, again, um, science, some of, the, some of the science presuppositions are drawn not from anything scientific, but from philosophy. Mm. They're a philosophical imposition on science. Well, and that kind of goes to the oh, next... Oh, let me say this, okay. too. Friday, Friday, I don't want to skip past this. Friday's lesson makes this point. In the first paragraph, first couple sentences say, two reasons exist why science, which gets so many things right, gets origin so wrong. First, science, which studies the natural world, must look only to the natural world for answers. Okay, that's a presupposition that gets them into trouble because there's more than the natural world. Second, science assumes that the laws of nature must remain constant. Well, that's not true either. They assume that there's always been the same rate of decay and what have you. They don't factor in, for example, a worldwide flood and what that would have done to everything. And so mm -hmm. those are two reasons, that it, it, presuppositions that are going to lead to false conclusions. And so, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, like, what do you do in those? Because th those secular worldview that, you know jettisons all reference to supernatural and yes. God is always going to be in conflict with those people who do believe that the Bible is what it claims to be, that God is in existence and That's creator right. of all things. And so I, I think of in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 20, where Paul says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions yes. of what is falsely called knowledge or science Falsely That's called. interesting. So he connects with that false science, idle babblings, and contradictions. Right, and, and it kind of it kind of seems to me like he's saying, don't engage them and win them. He's like, look, you're not going to win them. Avoid it, because there's there's really once someone is is grounded in that, uh, and those either two camps. Um, that's not saying the Holy Spirit can't do some miracle right, in your life right. or whatever, but your argumentations are never going to outlast their argumentation. Right. So don't get drawn in. Don't make your ministry consumed with taking on every pet issue that comes up or new thing that comes up. He's like, you stick to your your mission, your calling that you've been that's given. Right. Uh, so I think that's an important lesson for us is that we can learn about these things, but you, that's not our calling is to deb no, and debate I think one of the and debate every issue. I think one of the reasons for that, Ellen White brings it out in the book Steps to Christ, page 111, 
She says, disguise it, speaking of skepticism and some yes. of these arguments, these atheistic arguments, disguise it as they may, the real cause of doubt and skepticism in most cases is the love of sin. Absolutely. So there's no amount of arguing the facts and say, but there's evidence here and there's evidence here and yeah. there's evidence here. And you had alluded to it. We didn't really get into it much, but I believe it was Sunday's lesson that goes into the idea that God is the originator of everything. He's a creator. He presents himself in the Bible, and we've looked at this in previous lessons, as a creator, just like an assumption. Like yeah. this, just yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. And that his, his um, creative works are so clearly communicating his presence and existence, his eternal power and Godhead, Paul says in the book of Romans, that men are without excuse yes. not to see that in there. Yes. So it's not because of a lack of evidence that's that exactly people reject right. God. It's a love of sin, and that's what Ellen White is bringing up there. Well, and if you think about it, what if you were to acknowledge that there is a God, boom, the dominoes immediately falls. Like, now I'm accountable to him. Now his law is effective. That's right. And it's going to lead me where I don't. So that's in order exactly to not go right. there, I can't even start down there because it will automatically I lead to. I can add to... and subtract, and I know where this is going. Exactly. No, that's enough for me. Exactly. Well, now another aspect we've talked a lot about science but this is the arts and the sciences and we get to the arts the art. arts okay. is dealing with the idea of beauty and the lesson dives into this on uh, Tuesday or Monday rather it talks about the beauty of holiness now we had this in that phrase the previous lesson yeah, yeah. Um, and from the chronicles now it takes it from Psalm 96 verse 9 oh worship mm -hmm. the Lord in the beauty of holiness but then the question there's a thought question on Friday along these lines that says, discussion question number one says, in class, talk about the question of beauty. What is beauty? How do we define it? How might a Christian define and understand beauty differently from a non-Christian? And mm. just as God is the author of uh, science, God mm. is the author of beauty. Mm. And so uh, beauty ought to be defined from God. For example, on Monday, there's a quote. Could you read that quote from... Steps to Christ, it's uh, the third paragraph down. Sure. God would have his children appreciate his works and delight in the simple, quiet beauty with which he has adorned our earthly home. He is a lover of the beautiful, and above all that is outwardly attractive, he loves beauty of character. He would have us cultivate purity and simplicity, the quiet graces of the flowers. That's from page 85, Steps to Christ. So there are things that God sees as beautiful that we may not regard as beautiful or we may lose, like, you know, many people long for, you know, dazzling lights of the city and whatever. Right. They're bored with, with maybe some of the more simple things. Yeah. And again, what is it that God finds beautiful or defines as beautiful? So mm -hmm. you have the, the, the element of what he... Um, what God is, and, and of course, in this creation, you see evidence of beauty with colors and whatever, right. sunsets and what have you. But it's interesting, it also brings out here in that statement that above all, that is outwardly attractive, he loves beauty of character. And for many mm -hmm. people observing uh, art, they're looking oftentimes primarily at the outwardly attractive. Like they mm -hmm. don't weigh against it, is this art that I'm looking at um, in harmony with the character of God. Right. Is it uplifting, is it uplifting? towards is that Is it aim? pure? Yeah. Is it yeah. holy? Is yeah. it true? Is it just? Is yeah. it right? <laughs> Philippians 4. Yeah, the test, right? Verse 8. So there's, the, and the lesson goes to Genesis 3, for example, 3, verse 6, where the, the tree of knowledge was beautiful, mm. but it wasn't, I mean, to behold. Yeah. 
but that wasn't the essence of true beauty. So I put in the in the lesson the note that there's more to beauty than meets the eye. There's more than just outward. Mm. There is the inward quality of what makes things beautiful. And so art as well ought to be the beauty of art ought to be determined and filtered through the Bible, which takes us to our. I would third. say that it's a really nice transition to the third talking point there, where the Bible must be allowed to educate our love for art and our confidence in science. So we should learn about art and science for sure. That's right. But from and the, appreciate and art appreciate and it and, and practice it as far as we can. But the goal is to do it from God's original design perspective. That's right. right. Yeah, and I and I put the note in here. One of God's purposes in giving us the Bible is to educate our minds in true science and mm. beauty. Uh, God will give us that. Uh, for example, the the lesson brings out on Wednesday and this is largely drawn from Wednesday's lesson, uh, brings out the Proverbs and that passage in Proverbs 1, just the first seven verses in Proverbs 1, it goes into the idea of, um, you know, seeking wisdom from God and culminates with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And in that context, that ought to be allowed to educate that wisdom of God educate us into the true science and mm -hmm. true beauty and uh, again act as a filter and one of the things uh, that I had noticed in the lesson as I went through it is that history bears out the impact of the word on both the arts and the sciences mm. the, 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 there was a period of history called the dark ages yes. <laughs> where the bible was withheld from people and in fact, people have argued since, there's an argument that goes on, and oftentimes they don't even call it the Dark Ages anymore. Many people call it the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. And I've heard explanations of that from uh, non-religious people that will say, oh, they used to call it the Dark Ages because there was no real profound discoveries during that time. Mm -hmm. No scientific breakthroughs, no technological breakthroughs. Right. And, and since then, we have found that there have been some discoveries. It wasn't totally devoid of that and so they've renamed it the middle ages whatever well the reality is that's true that there wasn't a significant number of yeah. breakthroughs and that is telling mm. because through the in fact the way i put it here history bears witness of the creative and inventive effect of the study of scripture yes. on the mind as with the dawn of the Protestant Reformation came a revolution mm. of scientific discovery, that as people began to go back to the Bible, worship God in spirit and in truth, had the freedom to do so, mm -hmm. uh, study the Bible for themselves, you find in history a, a breakthrough of, of, of both creative, artistic, and scientific um, understanding, expression. And all. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, and, and I think you're absolutely right. How many people today would probably look at a Christian worldview as limiting and it puts you in a box and That's you can't right. really have the richness of life and all this kind of stuff. When the, when history has borne out the fact that you take away the word of God from, you know, the vast waters and all of a sudden technology stagnates, science stagnates, artistic, there's really nothing there. But you look at like the Sir Isaac Newtons, right? And I was just going to say. You, you look at him and he starts, he's a genuine student of the Word of God and he's developing physics and calculus and mathematical uh, things that we're still practicing yeah, to this many day. Many people don't realize that he wrote at least as much on yes. religious topics, the prophecies of right. Daniel and Revelation. So, really? so, so know, did so scripture here, make him dumber? That's right. No, not at all. But that's the 
right now, I guarantee in our right. worldview, the people who are like, oh, the people who d believe in the Bible, they just don't understand science, and they're kind of dumb. Right. And they're, when the reality is, some of the richest expressions of science and, and art have come from people very much devoted to the Lord and students of the Word. That's right. And again, when science is knowledge, and the greatest knowledge of all, the greatest knowledge to be obtained is a knowledge of God. Mm. And so again, the Bible must be allowed to educate our love for art and our confidence in science. Does that love for art lead us to a better knowledge of God? Mm. Does that confidence in science lead us to more confidence in God? Mm. There's a great uh, uh, quote on Wednesday's lesson. Well, it's not a quote. It's uh, the paragraph, it's the third comment, paragraph. Yeah. You want to read that? Sure. It says, from a Christian perspective, what does a knowledge of the arts and sciences really mean if it does not involve knowing the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error? That's a really great thing to think about because right. there, there's, if all of the artistic appreciation and scientific discovery doesn't actually draw you to the true source of art and science, right. it's really all misleading, right? And so if Well, it, you take the knowledge of the tree, the tree of knowledge okay. of good and evil. That was a knowledge God did not expect his and want his children to have. Not all knowledge is essential knowledge or beneficial knowledge. Oof, so true. And yeah, yeah I've ever heard people say like, um, yeah, how do you know about something? I can't know till you try it. And the Lord say like, no, no, there's some stuff I know that you don't. And I'm telling you, you stick to the script and you're going to be better off. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think about that with prison too. It's like, well, I've never been there, but I, I know enough that I don't want to go. And you can look around at the arts and sciences today and say there's plenty of stuff that the world deems as either beautiful or scientifically rigorous that we know is not in harmony with scripture and my happiness and 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 wholeness as a person is not going to be found in pursuing those things. That's right. We should avoid it uh, as God has directed, not to be limiting ourselves, but to free us to even the, the greatest heights that God has in store for us. Yeah, continue on. Why don't you conclude sure. with that uh, paragraph? All one has to do, for instance, is read a bit about the lives of some of those deemed the world's greatest artists in order to see that having wonderful skill and talent doesn't equate with a moral or upright life. One could argue, too, that great scientists involved in the work of creating biological or chemical weapons of mass destruction might be highly educated, highly gifted. But what are the fruits of their work? As stated before, knowledge in and of itself is not necessarily a good thing. Right. Mm. We want to allow our, our, the Bible to educate. Our, our love for art and our confidence in science should lead us to a, more, a deeper love for God yes. and a more of a greater confidence in His Word. Absolutely. Well, another rich study this week. I, hopefully your Sabbath school classes will be reflecting uh, of the, the depth of material here and your rich conversation, but I've enjoyed this, uh, this time together. And as we close, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word, from the perspective that it gives us in all aspects of life, including the arts and the sciences. Help us to truly appreciate those wonderful gifts as your word has taught us to do. Help us to see things from your perspective and trust that what we cannot see, you in fact do. And we can lay confidently in your feet and say, Lord, uh, please teach us what we would know. Pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen.